world. And now what? Um, and tonight we'll be taking a look at death and our culture. Um, but before we go any further, let me just introduce myself. My name is Lee. Um, I've been coming to Christchurch Midrand for a number of years. Um, and I'm also part of the Santon Life Group. Um, and I've actually, when I say that, I've got to make an apology for last um, MC, Tebsa, who spoke of his life group and said it was the best life group. And unfortunately, that was a, that was a white lie. It wasn't his fault. He didn't know about the Santon Life Group. But, but anyway, um, so his is the second best and ours is the best group um, for many reasons. Um, we've got fantastic people there. We've got we, we leadership. Uh, we learn about the Bible. But most of you care and pray and learn about each other and, and the relationships are really great. Um, just my own story in, in life group, there's a lady part of our life group who comes from a, Christ, from, a, from a Jewish upbringing. She probably doesn't know how big an influence she's been on my life, but just watching her every day, how she stands by, by her faith is amazing to see. Um, and she probably sits about five rows away from me in church. And it's quite a strange thing thought to think that if I never joined this life group or a life group, I might never have met this person that's influenced my life so much. Um, so I guess if, if anybody out there is not part of a life group, maybe you want to just think about, is there someone sitting that God's placed in our church that could be an influence on your life um, and is waiting to meet you in a group? It'd be great, great to join a group if you're not already part of one. Before I go any further, let me just uh, open up for us in prayer. So let's just bow our heads. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for, for the fact that you are a sovereign God. Um, thank you for having brought us through what we've been all been through for the last six months. Um, we, we live in a, in a privileged country where we have free access to your word, and your word has taught us that you have brought the human race through many things uh, in the past, uh, through many centuries. Um, and COVID is another one of those. Uh, what gives us comfort, though, is to know that you are in everything and that you have a great plan and that you are sovereign and that you love us dearly. Help us tonight to open our hearts and our minds to learn more about um, your ways and to learn from each other. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So tonight is uh, going to be talking about death and culture. Before I introduce you to our wonderful panel, um, Andres, Jonathan and David, um, maybe I can just give you a little bit of intro into my own culture. Um, I uh, guess I'm, I'm from a Western culture. Uh, my parents were born in the UK and I was born one year after they arrived from the UK into South Africa. And what is the Western culture typically? Um, well, the, the Western culture has a lot of many great sayings that things like carpe diem, seize the day, uh, you only have one life, um, don't waste it, which you know, all, all sound, sound quite good on the surface. The other sort of quite typical thing of the Western culture is uh, that of materialism. Um, so I work in wealth management. So I work with a with a, a number of really wealthy people, um, and it might sound a bit a uh, bit of a joke, but so many of them sort of talk about life and say, "He who dies with the most things wins," um, which sounds a bit ridiculous. But you'd be quite surprised as to how many uh, significant uh, people in life, as far as their wealth goes, really do live by that. Um, and before I go on, I just found quite an interesting um, clip from Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs uh, typified, I guess, the Western world. Um, he would have died uh, to what many would deem to be a huge success in what he achieved. Um, one of the most successful companies, certainly of our time, and died with great wealth, great success, great fame. 
And this is some words of Steve Jobs, who died a billionaire with a fortune of $7 billion. He died at the age of 56 from pancreatic cancer. And here are some of his last words. In other eyes, my life is the essence of success. But aside from work, I have a little joy. And in the end, wealth is just a fact of life to which I am accustomed. At this moment, lying on the bed, sick and remembering all my life, I realize that all my recognition and wealth that I have is meaningless in the face of imminent death. You can hire someone to drive a car for you, make money for you, but you cannot rent someone to carry the disease for you. One can find material things, but there is one thing that cannot be found when it is lost, life. So with that uh, quite stirring words to make us think about uh, how COVID has shaken our world and sort of brought the reality of death a little bit closer to all of us. Um, I'm going to go into introducing our panel and I'll go through them one by one and, and ask them a question and then uh, get them to answer. But firstly, Andres Sechle. Um, Andres, I haven't seen you yet tonight, but if you are there, won't you just come on and introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about yourself and then just give us some background as to your death and culture and 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 what it and, 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 what, and what it means to you um thanks um hi my name is andris Seche. i'm uh, an ordained minister in hsa i serve at johannesburg bible college um i also teach on a subject uh, concerning Death, what next? Um, just to say, in the African context, um, uh, death is not the end of the story. Basically, Africans um, believe that there is continuity. When you um, when you die, it's not the end of the story. There is life after death. Yes, it's not a, a physical. Uh, bodily life, but it is a real life, which is a spiritual life where your spirit or your soul continues to live beyond the death itself. And, and therefore, death is taken very serious in the context of our Thanks, Andres. Um, Jonathan, Jonathan Munin is our next person on the panel. Jonathan, why don't you um, just come and introduce yourself and then just give us your um, context of your culture and, 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 and give us a bit of background there. Well, thanks for having me. Um, so I'm Jonathan Munin. Glad to see my good friend Andres again. <laughs> um, so I'm currently uh, the minister at Emmanuel Church in Phoenix. And um, we've got a mixed congregation um, of uh, mainly uh, Indian families and uh, some uh, black families from around the area as well. Um, yeah, so I, I've been involved with uh, ministry uh, amongst Indians for uh, well over 20 years at this stage. And um, Death uh, amongst uh, Indians, similar to the African thought, but the Eastern philosophy, slightly different. And that seems to, that tradition or that worldview seems to still be carried in our community, even amongst Christians. Um, there's a lot of teaching that we have to do 
around the subject of death and what happens to a person when they die and, and things like that. Thanks, Jonathan. Um, and the third, third member of our panel is uh, David Kubedi. David asked me when I introduced him to say that the third and most and the best looking on this panel, but I didn't want to say it, but he's has, he's my senior at church, so I, so I had to say that. Um, David, just uh, we all know who you are, but why don't you just give us uh, a little bit of insight into into the culture that you are familiar with? Um, hi, um, everyone. Uh, thank you um, for joining us this evening. I think, I mean, Andrew's kind of has touched on it um, a bit, but just to like mention the other side. So he said that there's continuity and death is taken seriously uh, within the um, African uh, thinking. And I think one thing that I would say there, like from my own sort of upbringing, um, I think I there was a lot of uh, a fear attached to it um, as well. So like we, and I think everyone fears death, but ours, um, and it, it manifests differently in different cultures. Um, and I remember that as children we were told um, not to even look at a hearse, uh, if, if ever there was death within the, um, the community. Uh, so that's something that we would be kept away from uh, as kids. Uh, it was only the elders who would see um, a dead body. Uh, so there was fear there um, and, and also a desire to avoid death uh, and the causes of death. And I think the, the three different things widely speaking, that, that caused death would be either somebody caused it, uh, somebody um, did a cast a spell or, on some on you and then you, you died or whatever the case may be, but, but it has to be somebody who uh, has an ill will against you who, 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 who made it happen or the, the ancestors uh, made it happen um, or God made it um, uh, come to um, come to be. So, so I think yeah, that's the those were the kind of things where we um, we then fear that those things, those things that cause death, and we want to remedy um, um, against those either by appeasing or protecting ourselves from people attacking us. Uh, so that that was kind of the thinking. Um, and I think I mean that's more like I grew up in a rural area, so when I um, Speaking African is like it mainly rural, but like in the urban setting, obviously, um, like that would carry through in this um, idea of, but what, what did somebody do to deserve death? Um, as if there's something that you um, necessarily do to deserve deserve death. So, so that kind of thinking, rural thinking in its raw form, impacts like some of the urban thinking because um, there are different. Um, Black cultures within um, the South African context. I think I'm talking too long, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah the whole idea that somebody has cost it. We need to somebody or something has cost it. We need to remedy against that. Uh, but even this language of what did we do to deserve death, or why did he die so young? What did he uh, do? Mm -hmm. So that's yeah, my addition to to that. Thanks, David. That's really great. Um, just before we carry on, I just wanted to remind everyone that we want to encourage this sort of uh, this evening to be as interactive as possible. So it might be difficult to stop people to actually ask questions physically while 
we're doing this, but won't you just uh, type a question or at the end, there'll be just write it down and there'll be an opportunity to put your hand up and, and talk and, and really as much as, as we can encourage that, please do. Um, so those are just some really interesting insights. Uh, you know, I mentioned my, my own Western culture that I'm from um, and death is definitely something that is taboo to talk about um, because it, it, it marks the end um, and, and, and basically uh, defeat. So you're not just not allowed to, to talk about that. Um, it's quite interesting for, for, my, for, my, for my own experience um, watching what COVID has done with that conversation because while death's inevitable for all of us, uh, if you're 50 years old, hopefully it's still far enough away that you can just ignore it. But suddenly COVID comes up and you're a 50 year old and you read on the stats that you might well be in one of the vulnerable age groups and COVID might have brought it to your doorstep. Um, and so the behavior of people that I speak to has been quite interesting to witness. Um, yeah, that uh, suddenly that, that people are sort of talking about um, what happens after death and are they ready? Um, and of, of course, it's a lack of faith. So there is a little bit of panic there. Um, but it's interesting to, to see how this is brought the reality for people to suddenly take the consideration of maybe I haven't got this all as aligned as I thought I did. Um, Andres, just on to, the, on to the next part and just talking about that effect of COVID and how I just mentioned how it's affected some of the people that I interact with and how they suddenly are sort of willing to talk about have I got my wills in place and trusts and what happens to my kids and have I got everything, you know, that's the way that my culture that looks to sort of get things organized when something like this happens. Can you give us a bit of insight just as to some experience you've had with how people have have been shaken up by what's happened here and, and how it's changed some of the behavior that you might have seen? Yeah, I think uh, much of or most of the things you've just indicated, uh, people that I know are already talking about them. Um, just thinking about, um, you know, the reality that uh, I might be the next one and today, and therefore I must be ready. Um, and, and when I die, what happens to those that I leave behind? And I think that that is, it's a mentality that is among our people. What happens to those that are I leave behind and therefore um, just making sure that everything is in order. But um, just also thinking about the fact that when someone um, has died uh, due to COVID and for those who are not Christians, um, it's very difficult to process the fact that they can't bury their loved ones the way they are used to bury them. Uh, in the traditional way, uh, using the uh, uh, traditional rituals uh, um, in order for them to feel that they have uh, buried or they have um, uh, basically uh, laid to rest their loved one in a manner that is uh, acceptable even to their ancestors who have already passed away. So people, some people will be concerned about whether the way their loved ones are being buried under the restrictions of the lockdown and stuff. And I think being at this level of lockdown, maybe things are a bit eased, but I think a few 
months or even weeks ago, uh, people were finding it very difficult to uh, cope with the fact that now you have to bury your loved one in a community where uh, you, you are because of others. Mm. And, and therefore that communal spirit of uh, no one is to be invited to a funeral. You can just pitch up. And now you, there's a restriction of 50 people and only your family members are more than 50. So the community also needs to partake in, in that. And, and therefore, sometimes people find it very hard and uh, not to get the chance to partake. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a very emotional um, period for the last six months and funerals are, and, and, and remembering those that have passed away has certainly been one of those sort of that has highlighted the strangeness to the period we've just been through. So thanks, Andrew. That was great. Um, Jonathan, um, on your side, just similar, you know, observations that you've had on your side with regards to observing the behavior of people, um, your culture and how they've sort of uh, reacted to things. Yes, thank you, uh, Lee. I'd say pretty much similar to what Andres has said. Um, although the traditional and rituals, uh, uh, ritualistic practices within the Indian community um, would differ. Um, one of the big things that Andres mentioned, people not having the chance to do what they're familiar with doing. And I think that's really one, one of the ways that our community has been hit hard. Um, we're, we're used to having funerals that would last the whole day. We're used to having funerals where the door is open to anyone. Um, so uh, the, it, was, it was just a whole of life being done unusually, as we know with the, the COVID period. But one of the other things um, which was interesting is, for example, I spoke to a Hindu yesterday, and he said to me uh, at, at one of the funerals that they had, uh, they, couldn't, they couldn't get close to the body um, and they couldn't turn the lamp. And so they had to go to the wheel of the vehicle and turn the lamp around the wheel of the vehicle to show the last rites and their respects to the dead. Um, and so people really felt um, out of touch with what was going on at, at these uh, events with funeral and, and also letting go, releasing of the dead. I think one of the big things within the Indian community, I'm not just talking about Christians now because the differences, but within the Indian community at large, um, there's a lot that has to happen, very similar to, to African tradition, I, I would guess. A lot would have to happen at the funerals, a lot of rituals that have to take place to release the dead, to um, create a safe passage um, or a good resting for, for the dead, even though there is the, the, the principle of um, karma, in mind, even though um, reincarnation is in mind, um, they want to make sure they've taken care uh, of the dead. Um, and I think the, the second thing for me just to add to that is to say, funerals is a time of closure for, for people who are left behind, grieving and mourning the loss of their loved ones. And when we don't get to perform these rituals in whichever culture it is, uh, there sort of seems to be an, a lack of closure um, in terms of releasing the dead. And um, this is another area where uh, we've had to just counsel with people uh, and help them through this process of, of discussing what does it mean 
for a person to be alive? What does it mean for a person to be dead? Um, and so that created a number of gospel opportunities, which I suppose we will get to in a short while. Mm. Let me just uh, say, say two things here. One is that we're very thankful that at, at our local church, we haven't had any deaths over this COVID period. Uh, but just in the last three days, in fact, so it was Monday and this morning, we received reports of two family members uh, who had passed away. Uh, so it's been a very silent period and then suddenly just two family members. And uh, within, within our, our community, people want to be there. Uh, people feel that it's necessary to be present um, to see the body of the, of, of the dead person. Um, and so there's a, there's a lot around the whole idea of being present, carrying out the rituals, and, and receiving closure through those processes. So mm. for, for me, it's also what this COVID period has done is it's opened the door for gospel conversations with regards to what happens when a person dies, uh, especially because people um, feel like they haven't really fulfilled what needs to be done. Um, and, and there are people who feel they haven't attended funeral services. And so there's a, there's a lot of open doors for, for conversations uh, in, in that regard. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting and really insightful, um, Jonathan, thank you. Um, I've certainly had my own experience of some friends whose parents have passed away um, over this period. And, and the, the thing you mentioned about not having the lack of closure for those that are left here, uh, the friend of ours that has still yet to, to bury her dad is really, really struggling with uh, the lack of closure causing all sorts of issues. So it really is something that is part of a ritual that people even without faith, I don't think yes. realize quite how much they need for their own, for their own closure and, and to move on. Um, David, uh, on, on your side of things, on, on, on the same topic, why don't, you, why don't you give us a bit of insight as to what you've experienced? You're still looking great, by the way. Unmute. Oh, there we go. Um, yeah, so I feel like tonight we should have just uh, listened to those two other guys because they um, <laughs> they hit it on the spot there. But just to uh, maybe add and reiterate what they were saying, I think that that whole idea of closure and those um, rituals that we do. Um, those are, and I think the reason why we're talking about culture is because those are stories that we tell ourselves um, to make sense of our world and to make sense of particularly death. So those sort of rituals um, help us to make sense of, hey, what, what, what happens when somebody dies? Well, we have to usher them into the other world, whatever that is for the different cultures. Uh, and so we've told ourselves stories um, about how to to cope with death, how to make sense of it, um, we've put in rituals uh, to 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 help us deal with that. There's cultural practices um, that help us deal with that. And so when you kind of remove the what do they call the English when you take the um, help me out here Lee and uh, rip the curtain there the mat of the um, when you basic when the ground is basically shaky um, that you're standing on, um, yes. I think cutting the umbilical cord or something like that. So, so something along those lines. But basically, your reality suddenly changes 
and you can't um, cope with um, death the way you used to. And I think that's been the uh, the biggest issue. And I, and I think where it's when you see it. So I firstly saw it on on the news when they were reporting on Brazil, and they're like, "Shucks, people don't even have time to bury their dead." Uh, it's just five minutes, boom, um, and you're out of there. And like for me, that was personally traumatic because I'm like, how do you cope with that? Uh, and then somebody closer to um, my family had COVID, and I'm like, oh my word! Like if they die, like how are we going to um, cope with it? So it suddenly became personal. Um, and then within our own church family, uh, we. It, last week had a funeral and it just felt like it's not the normal way of doing things. Um, There's some things that are missing to bring us closure, even though like in my mind, I know, and I think, um, let me not jump into this. I knew the hope that we had um, as Christians, but there's a, because we've um, done certain things, not necessarily rituals, but there's a way of grieving. within our culture that helps us deal with those things. So I think, yeah, for me, it's that whole thing of the, um, the rug being pulled out of your, your thing, your feet. That's the expression I was looking for. Uh, it's uh, half past seven, so my English is running out. Yeah, so that's what I, um, it became personal and it becomes um, this shaky ground of what if it happens to me, because everything is, not normal, as it were. Um, yeah. 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 No, no, that's, uh, that's great, David. Thank you. I mean, some of us um, would have joined uh, a funeral of that wonderful family member of ours, our church last week of, of Emily. Um, some were there and some joined virtually. I was one of those that joined virtually. So it was my first virtual funeral um, ever before and hopefully the, hopefully the last because it was uh, certainly quite uh, traumatic from an emotional point of view. But what I realized sitting there with tears in my eyes, um, remembering the, the wonderful life of that lady is that my own closure was that I, I wanted to show her family the remorse that, that, that I was going to miss her and what she meant to me. And because I was sitting behind a screen, I ended the service with these red eyes and realized that they could never see the emotion that I had. So I drafted an email to, to hopefully get to the family to say, your, your, your mother and your family member was amazing and touched my life. And, and I made, it made me realize there's a big part of my culture that wants to show and share that remorse to, to show that that life was a, was a, was a life that meant, meant uh, great things on this earth uh, and certainly was a life that was, was, was lived well. Um, so, so we're just moving on to the, to the third part of this. So we've, we've talked about our culture, how our culture perhaps without faith sees death. And then we're, we're part of a, a Christian faith that gives us the one great thing, and that is a, a real hope um, beyond death um, that, that I think very few faiths and beliefs um, have, like the, like the Christian faith do, or in fact none do, with the, with, this, with the solace and the belief of what the promises of eternity one day with our, with our, with our maker. Um, so on that topic, just Andres, you're, you've spoken a little bit about um, I think Jonathan mentioned that the opportunity that COVID has given to to just talk about what death is and what life is and what what death and what is a life look, lived and, and 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 what does death mean. Um, Andres, just your uh, 
sort of insight into a bit of opportunity into the talking to people about how you've been able to maybe express the the unfound um, confidence you have as to what what the promises for your own life after after death and, and how that's played out I think the one of the greatest opportunities and 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 we have to acknowledge uh, this is under very sad circumstances is that uh, everyone is thinking about death. The whole world is thinking about death. Uh, people are talking about death. Uh, people are willing to talk about death and what happens after you die. Mm. And that presents a great opportunity for the gospel because it's um, anyhow, I believe from what the scriptures teaches, it is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ that offers us hope. And therefore, uh, I think uh, every time you get the opportunity to talk to someone about the COVID issue, you also get the opportunity to talk about death. And, and it's almost unavoidable to talk about death and, and actually not wonder what happens after someone has died. And, and I think in, in my culture, um, as uh, 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 Brother Kobedi has already stated that uh, death, because it's, it's treated in some way as a taboo, as something, um, a, a bit of mystery, and, and therefore uh, sometimes people uh, shy away from speaking about what actually happens after death, mm. um, except uh, people will basically tap into what is already shared among the context, among the culture, about what people uh, think happens after death and therefore, and, and get some comfort from that which has been handed down to them within that context. Mm. Thanks, Andres. Um, Jonathan, you're, you know, you've, 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 you've touched on it in, in your last answer to saying the opportunity that you've seen to talk to people. Just uh, elaborate a little bit more on, on that if you don't mind. So, yeah, thanks. One of the things that's uh, been helpful for me is during the COVID period, I managed to get a part-time job and uh, working in a, an office environment, being the new guy in there, uh, I had uh, the liberty to uh, play ignorant and uh, as I got to people's desk, I, I would notice uh, what's around on their desk. And often uh, it was easier for me to relate with the Hindus because of the community I'm coming from. So I say, I notice you have uh, these deities. And uh, that opened a discussion uh, uh, just to talk about the gods, to talk about life, to talk about death. Then we spoke about morality and sin. Uh, and how do we deal with that? Uh, what what does that mean for life now? What does it mean for life beyond uh, death? Because this is one of the concerns of the Hindu. They want to be liberated from this whole cycle of samsara. And they want to connect with the divine. And 
You know, there's wonderful promises of Christ who, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. Um, I am the resurrection and the life. All of this hope that comes through the teachings of Jesus Christ was, was there to present to people who were searching for something, searching for an answer, and I was able to, to bring Jesus to them through uh, these, these incidents. And that happened during the COVID period. But also in the office environment, there were a number of discussions. And, you, you know, um, down here in Phoenix, a lot of the guys say, ah, you know, when it's your time, it's your time. Mm-hmm. And that, that, you know, that meant I could say, do you know when that time is? And the guy says, no, when it's your time, your time's up. And I said, well, what does that mean for how you meant to live now? And those discussions led us down to look at committing your life to Jesus now because we do not know when he's going to return. We do not know when the great judgment of God's going to be, nor do we know when we're going to die. Um, so, for example, um, listen to this uh, one scripture that we were able to discuss. Um, Paul writes to the Thessalonians and he says, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. And this is, uh, this is what we should be arming ourselves with as Christians, because we do have hope. And he tells us what this hope is like. He says, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. That would be those who have died before us. That would include us if we were to die now. Or, or, or shortly, or, or later. Those who die in Jesus Christ will be brought back with him. And then he says here in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15, he says, according to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. What an amazing promise for Christians. And and, and then he he goes on to say, therefore, encourage each other with these words. So so at funerals and whenever we're talking about, uh, we've had family members who had the COVID virus. We've had friends who had the COVID virus. We were able to go to those who are Christians and say, look, in life or in death, Let's be faithful to God because here is his promise. This is the hope with which we live. This is why we cling to Jesus. This is why we've come to him in the first place. Because of the salvation we have in him through his death and his resurrection. And he's coming back again. So whether we die and go to be with him or whether we're still alive when he returns, it's good news all around. Win-win if you're a Christian. And and then he says, yeah, now brothers about times and days, we don't need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And you see, this is, this is where the discussion gets open, when people are, are fearful. And that's what this COVID has done for a number of people, even Christians. Questioning, is this the judgment of God? Does this mean it's the second coming? Is Jesus coming soon? And all of these things you know, that, that people have been talking about. What does it matter to you, Christian, if you are in Jesus Christ? Yeah. There's your hope that he is risen from the dead and he's coming back for us. And so we hold on to that. And, and it's just been amazing to have these discussions with people, pointing them not only back to the cross, but pointing them ahead to that wonderful union we're going to share with Christ when he comes back. We're going to be caught up to be with him 
um, it's just an amazing thing that, that COVID has done in terms of opening up these gospel uh, discussions. Um, so uh, one of our family members who passed away on Monday um, was in ministry. And uh, at a funeral today, we were able to, to talk about all that the Lord was doing through her in her life. Wouldn't it be a wonderful testimony? Um, as, as we know, whether in life or in death, like Paul says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And that is the perspective uh, I believe we ought to be living with so that the circumstances around us uh, are not going to easily deter us or dissuade us from following Jesus um, and from holding on to the, to the truths of the gospel. So, so there is great hope. When, when we come to believe in Jesus and we hold on to him, it shines a light ahead for us, not only marking out the path for which we are to walk, but showing us the destiny which we are headed to. Mm. Yeah, what a wonderful message, Jonathan. Thank you. That was uh, wonderful to, to listen to. You. And uh, uh, we can just see your enthusiasm and, and, and can see how with, what was the, with the great approach that you've obviously been Hi, given. Hi, my name is Fatwanda. So, um, yeah, thank you for that. That, uh, that. that really did move us. Um, David, uh, how's, how's the opportunity for the gospel been for you? And, and, and how, have you, how have you sort of seen things play out uh, with the people that you influence, your family, you know, people that might not, have, might not have come to faith before? Well, I think there might be somebody who's locked in now who may not be um, a believer in Jesus. Um, um, I think I, I just want to share. I like being real, man. Um, and I think for me, so I've seen close uh, family members who died without knowing Jesus. Um, then I've seen um, when I was in second year of Bible college, um, my roommate um, uh, in the third year when we were supposed to be doing our uh, third year um, passed on. Uh, from drowning, and I think there was, uh, yeah, it's it brought death home, right? Like when it's no longer a concept, and it's like you actually feeling it, um, and you have to be reminded of the story of Jesus. And I think for me, what uh, Andres and, and Jonathan are talking about is the Christian story that Jesus is alive, uh, and that's an historical fact. Um, and and so like the hope that one has to walk through and be reminded of the truth when, whenever we face death. I think that there is a sense of hope and there's a sense that we need to be reminded because even as Christians, um, I think often um, that truth doesn't always um, hit home with us. Uh, so just to say, man, like that's something that we always want to remind, remember the story of who God is and what he, what he has done, that he raised Jesus from the dead and it's, historical, it's physical, um, that if you doubt it, you can actually investigate the claims of, of, of Christi the Christian story. Uh, and so for me, that, that gives me comfort. And I remember the, the differences between um, somebody who was close, who wasn't a Christian, and there was a sense in which there was no certainty in my heart and in my mind about um, where that person um, is going to be, but uh, there was a sense in which as we constantly, I remember the song that we sang, in Christ alone my hope is, is found, 
here in the death of Christ, um, I stand. And I, there's a lot of hope in the Christian uh, story that was uh, sung in that moment that reminded me of the promises of, of Christ. Uh, and that gave me hope uh, to experience the pain, because death is painful, but to experience it and mourn, as uh, Jonathan pointed from that Thessalonians passage, to mourn with a sense of hope that Jesus is going to bodily and physically raise us to life. So for me, that's the, the hope of the Christian story. And all the stories that I grew up listening to, like he's in a better place. Um, in Sudana, when someone passes on, we say, we get they, they've gone to the place of the, um, the ancestors, the gods. Um, and so that those are stories that we grew up um, telling ourselves. But I can't point you to um, a substance or like there's no evidence for me to back that up. Um, mm -hmm. But with the resurrection of Jesus, there is actual proof and evidence that, hey, this man was a real human being. He died. Um, and dead people don't come back to life. That's not like they used to believe this stuff back in those days because they were crazy and primitive. But no, like those guys believed that there was no resurrection. Uh, and what happened to Jesus was a miracle. Uh, and Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that a whole lot of other people saw him um, alive. And so that, yeah, that to me is like, that's the Christian story and it has a lot of, weighty evidence to it and it gives me um something to hold on to when when my ground is shaky um and it has been uh in the past so i think that in COVID, you think of <laughs> the possibility of like I, am, I might die um but you look to yeah i think for me that's been looking to the resurrection uh as my hope that's great thank you david thanks for sharing that um you know, you mentioned your culture being not too dissimilar to mine, where people often talk about it as they're in a better place, um, which you all wonder sort of what, where exactly that is, but it's just them, um, I guess, people that are left here, hoping to find a way to make themselves feel better about the loss that they've had. Um, and, you know, it really is a, it's been, while we talk about the opportunity with others, it's why I'm so grateful for it, is it's been a real reminder to me about how, urgent our life is on earth you know while i might not fear death myself am i am i still using my life that's been planned by god as as i'm supposed to because it's a it's a it's a breath of a breath of air that's here today and gone tomorrow and have i have i sort of just been assuming like many of my non-christian friends that that's something that i will also face when i'm 80 and therefore i don't have to sort of speak to my unsafe friends with any urgency because there's time and I'm, I'm grateful that COVID has, has certainly woken me up from, from some of that sort of approach where we just, we just don't know what, how much time there is. Um, uh, and, and, and every day is, is a gift and it's urgent to speak to the people that we love and care for. We finished the, the three parts of the question. Uh, we're now gonna move on to the section where Andres is gonna um, give us a little talk and, 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 and a further enhancement on what he's uh, just expressed before now as to the hope of the message in, in Christ. Um, and while he's doing that, won't you, as you have seen a couple of questions coming through already on the on the chat group, won't you listen? And if there's any questions that have come through for the three panelists, 
please start posting those. And uh, once Andrews is, is done there, then we'll, we'll hopefully entertain some of those questions. So Andrews, thank you. Over to you. Uh, thank you. Um, so I'd like to just greet you once again. Um, it's a very African thing to greet uh, people. <laughs> um, and to say, uh, because of being time conscious, I'm going to just go straight into the text and the word of God and uh, briefly reflect on um, the hope that we have in the face of death. Um, it's uh, concerning a, a story or a parable that Jesus told about the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. Uh, the word of the Lord reads as follows. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side or bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a cousin has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can, can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Let's briefly pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you will help us to understand it in Jesus' name and respond in repentant faith. Amen. Amen. So, 
the story of the rich man and Lazarus, uh, Lazarus uh, being uh, Eliezer, meaning uh, God has helped. Uh, Eliezer is his actual Hebrew name. Uh, it highlights the significance and consequences of being rich towards God. Um, if you read the context of this passage, what the passages that comes before from chapter 12 to the passages that comes after, you will see that uh, uh, being rich towards God, trusting in God, treasuring him and his gospel message, that's what matters most. And the consequences of trusting in God are much more desirable for the living uh, for, for living people, uh, living human beings um, than we can ever imagine because uh, it is by the word of God that we come to know him um, and by his grace to trust in his word and, and be changed by the gospel. And hence in this story, we see a story of hope basically. Um, I just want to state just a few facts quickly. The story of Lazarus, you'll see as we just briefly um, go through it, is that death is real. And, and secondly, that death affects all of us. You see the rich man and you see the poor man, and they both have the same experience. They die. Death is unavoidable. Yes, the poor man died first, but the rich man eventually died. And we can see also that we are all destined to die. It's our destiny. I imagine the rich man never thought that should, should be what the outcome of his life um, be. Nonetheless, we are all destined to die as God's word says in Hebrews chapter nine, verse 27. The story of Eliezer or Lazarus and the rich man is shocking and yet a hope-inspiring parable for those who are graciously justified through faith in God like Abraham was. Indeed, they are blessed because when they die, they surely will rest in peace as we, we normally say, um, rest in peace. Those who trust in God will surely rest in peace. It will be a grievous mistake to ignore the overall context of this passage. Uh, nonetheless, time does not afford me to go into each and every detail, but I'll try and show us that, uh, especially when you look at uh, in Luke chapter 12, verse 13 to 21, Jesus uh, made a parable told a story of the rich fool and showing uh, that the rich fool was, was foolish because the, he stored up things for himself without uh, acknowledging uh, that we should value God, we should trust in God, and therefore he was not rich towards God. And, and as the story unfolds, we get to the story of Lazarus whereby we see the same or a similar trend of materialism blinding the rich man. You see there, as we, we look at verse 19, 
there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. If he lived today, I was just imagining purple. I'm like, maybe something like Dolce and Gabbana, fine linen, Versace, you know, this person lived in luxury. Um, and at his gate, there was this beggar. And, and, and this beggar's name is given. In, in the parables that Jesus tells, he does not mention people's names. But in this parable, the beggar's name is given, while the rich man's name is not given. You will think he should mention the rich man's name because he's rich. He's a man of prestige, but he does not do that because he's showing that our hope is in being rich towards God. It's in trusting in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here is this man at the gate longing, longing to eat at least the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. And, and it seems like he was just longing, but that never really materialized. Even the dogs, if you are telling this story to a Jewish person and you put in the dog licking a person, uh, for a Jewish person, it, it will not at that time, it will not have been the way we view dogs today and have been saying, oh, this is so cute. No, Jesus, what he's showing there, is that this was worse. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his soul. This man was in a dire state. And yet, in this whole story, what we are seeing is that the rich man had a big problem. He did not notice Lazarus and he, this man here, we are, we are told by the way he acted towards Lazarus. Basically, you can see that the story is showing us the heart of the man, that this man does not love God by loving neighbor. He does not regard Lazarus as neighbor. And therefore, he, he, he is showing his heart that he does not really know God or value God. His actions spoke louder than words. And that's why this is shocking because you will think the rich man is the blessed man in the story. But blessed is Lazarus, isn't it? And you see that when you go to the um, next uh, verse, uh, in verse 22, that actually the the twist in the story is that the one we thought is blessed is not really blessed. Because if you are not rich towards God, you, you are not really blessed because everything you have, you will leave it behind. You will leave it for others to enjoy or to even squander. So the three lessons quickly we learn uh, from this passage uh, are concerning our hope in the face of death is that we are all destined to die. And you see that very clearly in that passage where it tells us, verse 22, 
that time came. That time came. It came and it will come. If Jesus does not come today, it will come for you and I. If he does not come in a hundred years' time, it will come for you and I. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. What a beautiful thing happened in there. Then the rich man's time also came, also died and was buried. A very short obituary day. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So what we are seeing there is that the fact that we are all destined to die. And secondly, our eternal destinies are not the same. You all, almost you have a picture that when you die, you will have a taste of your eternal destiny before you even enjoy it or be destroyed in that uh, eternal destiny in a bodily form because we will not enjoy eternity without us being resurrected or having resurrection bodies. So the second thing is that our eternal destinies are not the same. Lazarus was at rest. Death is not a punishment for Christians. That's the hope we see in the story of Lazarus. He was at rest. Angels carried him to Abraham's side. Abraham representing the covenant of God. And the rich man also died, but the rich man was buried. We don't see angels being involved. The, the, the passage does not tell us angels were involved or demons were involved. What we see is that he was buried. But when he woke up, he was conscious that he is in another realm. He is in Hades. And in Hades, he was in agony. So he had a taste of his eternal destiny. Mm -hmm. Thirdly, yes, death is a sure thing. We are all destined to die. Yes, our destinies are not the same. But thanks be to God, our hope, our hope, while we are still breathing, while we are still alive, is available. And our hope is in trusting and treasuring the message of God's word, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, in his conversation with the, the so in, in, in the parable, as he gives us the conversation of Father Abraham and the rich man, Jesus shows us in that conversation that the, the hope that the living have is in the gospel itself. Look at it very quickly there. It says, uh, verse 23, in Hades where he was in Tommy, he looked up and saw Father Abraham. Have pity. Uh, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip uh, the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in mm. this fire. But Father Abraham replied, son, remember, you had good time, basically. 
while Lazarus received bad things. You had good things, you had good time, everything went well. You had all the comfort you needed. Now you are in agony because all the comfort you had were temporal. And yes, the difference is Lazarus did not have the temporal comfort, but Lazarus had the eternal comfort, the hope of the covenant of God with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and that's why Abraham is in the picture there. Uh, he represents the covenant of God with his people. And, and therefore, this man had something far more valuable, far more eternal. He was rich towards God in that sense. And, and besides all this, verse 26, between us and you, a great chasm has been set. So there's no way those who, who are in Father Abraham's side and those who are in Hades will come together. So it means your destiny, in a sense, is sealed. Beyond death, there's no hope. There's hope before you die. That's why the opportunities we are getting about telling people the gospel, we must take them because there is hope this side of the grave. And there we see, my brothers and sisters, we see as I want to conclude, we see that Lazarus uh, in this story is at rest. And the story is focused on the rich man. And the focus here is showing the rich man that the hope, the people whom the rich man has left behind, the hope that they have is in listening to Moses and the prophets. I just want to go very quickly there. He, the, he begged, can you at least send someone from here Father Abraham uh, said, replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. That's what we should be calling people to listen to Moses and the prophets. Because Moses and the prophets are all about Jesus. When you go to Luke uh, chapter 24, you see Luke uh, writing about Jesus' speech after the resurrection. And Jesus teaching people after the road to Emmaus, teaching them from Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, opening up their minds so that they could understand the scriptures, that the whole scriptures are ultimately about him. So the call here is not to look for a voice from the dead, is to look from, for voice from the living one, and the living one is God, and he speaks through his word. And he said to them, if they don't listen to Moses and, and, and the prophets, verse 31, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. In the African context, if someone rises from the dead and come and tell you, and you are not a believer, you may even be convinced in God and the ancestors. Rather than be convinced that God has sent this person to point me to Jesus and Jesus alone. We have such a wonderful message in this passage. Our hope is in trusting and treasuring the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Moses and the prophets are all about Jesus. 
So therefore, trust and treasure the gospel of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we pray that you will bless your word in Christ's name and make it work in our hearts and minds and lives. For Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. 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 Andres, thank you, brother, for sharing with us. Thank you for your passion um, and your conviction and for being so inspiring. So we thank God for you. Thank you. Um, before we carry on, those that joined us last week, there was a really moving video um, of someone who came to faith, and I believe there's another video um, tonight. So without further ado, I'm going to hand over to Gareth. And Gareth, if you wouldn't mind hitting the play button for that video. Thank you. This is my story. Um, I grew up in a Christian family and I grew up knowing that there is God, there is Jesus and there is the Holy Spirit. As I was growing up, um, I thought I, um, I was a Christian by the way I was living my life because my life was focusing on the good works. And that's what I have been um, knowing growing up. And I joined Christchurch in uh, 2017. So I was introduced to the church by my, my kids. Um, they attend school here. Um, when I joined, I like I can't hear Martin when he preaches. Uh, but uh, what he is saying about uh, God and Jesus is the truth. And I remember he keep on saying, um, if you want to know more about Christ, go and read uh, the book of John. That's when you will find out more about Jesus. So I went and started um, reading about the book of John, but with no understanding, just reading because I'm reading the Bible. Until I was introduced to a um, life group, um, and I joined the life group, which we um, meet on Wednesdays at 11. So we were discussing the book of Ephesians. That's when I found out that I am not really converted uh, because I was basing my uh, Christianity on my works. So I have learned um, that uh, we are saved by grace, not by works. It was hard for me to, to understand that because my mind and what I know is that we have to do good works, we have to follow the Ten Commandments. Um, only to realize that when we are going through that book of Ephesians, I learned about myself, I learned about Christ, what he has done for me at the cross. So knowing that helped me to understand that we are saved by, by grace. And what Jesus has done for me, um, it's a big uh, transformation. Now I know that I don't have to look at God as a vending machine where I will just go and pray and say, Lord, this is what I want. I want money, I want car, I want you to heal, to heal me. It was um, hard at first because my parents, my in-laws and my family, my, my parents on, on my side, 
they were sick, like seriously sick, they are on chronic medication. But I have been praying for them to be healed. And um, there was no healing that was coming. And then I said, oh God, how can this happen? Because I'm a Christian. Uh, but being part of the life group helped me to understand that it's not all about what God can do for us. It's all about who he is in our lives. So I took a decision to make um, a, a God my Lord and my Savior and to follow Christ. And that has led me to um, follow the Ten Commandments easily and not to uh, base my Christianity on, on the law. I don't know about everyone else, but I've been loving the sharing of stories that we've had last week and this week, and it was another wonderful story to hear. So uh, thanks again for Gareth putting that together. Um, we're coming to the close, and I've just got one or two questions, which I'm going to pose because of a lack of time to someone in particular. Here's the question that I've got here, and if, while I'm reading this, someone else in the audience wants to ask something, just put your hand up and we'll give you a chance to, to um, ask a question. But this question, perhaps I can pose Jonathan to you to, um, to start if you don't mind. It was to all the panelists, but we might run out of time to do all three. Does the gospel perspective on death lead you into inevitable conflict with the culture of the person you are engaging? Or is there common ground you can focus on? I hope, that's, uh, not, I hope you understand what, what the question was there. It is, uh, Thanks, Jonathan. Sure, thank you. I, I think at every point in time, uh, whenever the, the gospel is being proclaimed, whichever, whichever aspect of the gospel, um, whether it is the um, pre-existence of Christ, uh, his work in creation, uh, his incarnation, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, uh, his second coming, um, wh whatever aspect of the gospel one is looking at. Uh, I think Paul helps us to understand it in 1 Corinthians. He says that, um, you know, the wisdom of God, the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. Uh, inevitably, we're going to come across some form of opposition, uh, skepticism, uh, some pushback. Um, and we thank God uh, that those who uh, give us an ear for those who would be open to hear the gospel, to engage, to reason, um, uh, for those who would even go away and reflect on it. We thank God that he's at work in the lives, uh, even of those people where we don't face opposition. You know, take it from what Jesus said, uh, blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Um, he, Jesus also went on to remind us that because uh, the world hated him, we who uh, are his disciples, we who carry his message out, we who are his witnesses, um, we must be prepared to be martyrs because the world will hate us also. Um, so I, 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 I'm confident that whenever we, we go out um, living as Christians, we will uh, or we should expect to face some form of uh, opposition, uh, persecution, uh, conflict. So the gospel will ine inevitably uh, stir, stir that up because of the truth. And the devil, the father of lies, is opposed to truth. And he will do whatever he can, uh, to, by whatever means he, uh, you know, he's permitted, 
uh, to oppose the truth of the gospel going up. So, so I hope I'm, I'm, I'm in line with what you've been asking there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I understand that when I speak to people, uh, you know, we're also guided by scripture to say, which says, speak the truth in love. Uh, whether if it is in the context of our, our church ministry, one-to-one, um, out there, just, uh, you know, cold uh, contacts with people, whatever it is, we've got we've to gotta go out with the love of Jesus uh, Christ. And I, and I think that is very important because it is the character um, that God expects of us. Um, it, is, it is who he has called us to be um, as his disciples. So it, it is not going out arrogantly. I don't think it is going out there uh, without understanding what Jesus said when we go out into battle for him. There's going to there's gonna be opposition, but, but we don't go out there to nail people down. We go out there with the love of Christ to demonstrate the love of Christ, to reveal the love of Christ to them, and to hopefully share that love uh, in a way that they too would come to see Jesus, his love uh, expressed for us on the cross um, and the life that he offers to, to everyone whom he dies for. I hope I've, I hope I've um, yeah, responded to your question. Yeah, yeah you have, Jonathan. Um, thank you. Um, I can't thank you enough. We are out of time, so um, I, unfortunately we're going to have to wrap up and we'll get um, Rafa to pray for us just now. But I just wanted to say thank you to all of you. Um, to a, a Christian as part of the fa- of a Christian family, I'm blessed to be a part of this. I'm blessed to listen to passionate speakers like the three that we had this evening. Um, I needed to be encouraged. I get um, my humanist gets in the way. I get worried about the persecution that I'm going to get, even though I get convicted that now's now's the time to tell people take a chance, and and somehow you find reasons not to. And certainly the message and the passion which all three of you have spoken about this evening is is a huge um, reminder about uh, an encouragement um, for a person like myself. So I'm really grateful for that. Thanks so much. Um, I just want to say a quick apology to Tebza because um, uh, he was the person that put that video together. So Tebza, um, I can't have two goes at you about your life group and of the video, but the video was wonderful. So Tebza, thank you so much. Um, And that's it for this evening. I'm now going to ask Rafa to close in prayer for us. Rafa, if you wouldn't mind, thank you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just want to thank you again for this great evening that we have heard. Uh, We thank you for um, just your word that is alive, that speaks to us. Uh, We thank you because, Lord, you've invaded our story, uh, especially during this time where COVID is just shaking everything. Um, We thank you, Lord, because our hope is in you and you alone. We thank you because you came into this world to conquer sin and death on our behalf so that we don't have to fear sin anymore, so that we don't have to fear death anymore. And Lord, we thank you because you are the resurrection and the life. And for all those who put their trust in you, they will rise with you. Lord, as we depart from here, we pray so that we will keep this good news into our hearts. We will proclaim it to the world that you are the resurrection and the life. Will you please be with each of us and keep us safe and help us to continue to live for you. 
We thank you, Lord, and we pray all this in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Rafa. Thanks again, everyone. Uh, God bless and to all of those that can join again next week. Hope to see you and anybody else that you invite for next Wednesday. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Thanks for having us.